Area 941 podcast are produced and distributed by Community Powered 94.1 KPFA Radio. Please help support Area 941 at kpfa.org. I'm Richard Walensky. This is KPFA's Bay Area Theater podcast, featuring stage reviews, along with extended versions of interviews heard on Arts Waves on Cover to Cover. My guest is Tamala Woodard, who is the director of Top Girls by Carol Churchill, which is playing at ACT's Geary Theater through October 13th. Tamala Woodard has several other roles. She was an associate director on Hades Town, which is a hit on Broadway. She directed Men on Boats last year at ACT Strand Theater. Associate Artistic Director of WP Theater, Women's Project Theater, co-founder of Pop-Up Theater, Artistic Director of Five Boroughs, One City Project, and probably about 30 other roles that I haven't heard about. Started as an actress, went to Yale School of Drama, and we will talk about that. But first, let's start talking about Top Girls by Carol Churchill. Carol Churchill, she's still alive, right? She is very much still alive and still making work. This play comes from 1982 from Thatcherite, England. It's about the challenge women face getting to certain points in their careers when they're very ambitious, where they don't quite want to be men, but they have to find that midpoint between being who they are as women and power. Is that sort of what we're talking about? Yeah, that is sort of what we're talking about. It is about also like the, how society views women and what how they're supposed to be and how we are, how women are socialized, socialized against ambition and how the all of the structures of society around them move us towards a sort of narrow um, expression of power and desire and will and ambition. In Top Girls, I think what we get to see is the full scope or spectrum of what one might call the feminist movement, you know, Um, and certainly this came out of the second wave of feminism also. And the desire to, the desire that is implanted in girls and women, if you're going to exist outside of the narrow confines of, of what it means to be a girl or a woman, then that means that you have to have you have to have both things, all things. Marlene, the main character, comes out of an era when the most powerful woman, the most powerful person in England was a woman, Margaret Thatcher, and she wasn't exactly a feminist ideal, though she was the leader of the country. Yeah, Thatcher was like very famously said, what's it ever done for me? And so was absolutely rejected that idea of that movement. She was very much a pull yourself up by your own freaking bootstraps kind of person. Her and Reagan were very, very good friends. In fact, I think like (laughs) you might say like her best buddy in the world was the American president at the time. And their ideas of like what makes a great society were very much the same, which was about competition, which was 
not about community, which was about that people had to take up the mantle of their own particular success and existence and be responsible for themselves, um, and that society or large government was an opiate. Carol Churchill has been writing plays, obviously, for 30 years now. Does she come out of kind of an anti-capitalist perspective, do you think? Or is it more just simply feminist? One of the central arguments in the play that happens in the in the third act is really about who wins and who loses in a government that says that you are responsible for your own success. Who takes care of the weak, the quote unquote weak? And this is a quote from the play, who takes care of the weak, who takes care of the, the people who don't have education and the people who don't have money. She's asking that question, and both of these characters have very, very strong and very compelling viewpoints. Going into the play itself, you as a director, you're constantly exploring, taking theater in directions where it has not gone before, expanding. The play opens with Marlene, the main character, having a dinner party, and these women from history join her. And then it turns into a play that moves back and forth in time. How do you as a director view these different elements? Yeah, that's a question that was from the very beginning is how are, the, how are all of these spaces helping to tell the story that Carol Churchill is after? I think that the very first opening scene that exists in 1982, but also invites women who are from the 9th century, the 13th century, into a space with a contemporary woman are all looking at what does it mean to be a, a woman who has tried to break the glass ceiling in the whole history of humanity. I think that it calls for a certain level of grand theatricality and abstraction that then becomes narrow and narrower as the play comes to its close. So by the time we get to the last scene, we're in a living room. In the very first scene, we're somewhere between a dream and a nightmare. And the cone sort of narrows as we move down to something that is very close to the audience, very intimate, very, very, very naturalistic. In terms of the acting style, I know men on boats used an exaggerated acting mm -hmm. style. Does this, again, start with a more exaggerated style, moving toward more realistic, or do you keep an even tempo throughout? The women who start out the play, Del Gret and Pope Joan and um, Lady Nijo and Isabella Bird, are all bigger than life because they were bigger than life. Um, they were subjects of great art also. Um, and so they exist in this space of bigger than life. And then we come down to life and people who want to be bigger than the box that they're put in. And then we come down to the box and the box that is really kind of winning at containing people in a way that makes them feel like they might be suffocating. Does that mean that Marlene herself changes, or does she remain realistic while the characters are heightened? I hope that the experience will be that Marlene's never not realistic. She's sometimes unbound. One other element of your work, and I wonder what role it would play here, you know, one of the key takeaways that I got, at least from Men on Boats, was the theatricality of the production, the use of scrims back and forth, mm -hmm. generally the use of odd objects to denote what was going on down the rapids. 
in this play, are you using similar theatrical devices here? Yeah. These plays don't exist in the same universe. And so okay. the men on boats that had no men and no boats, you know, was very much a part of like the theatricality of that. And how do we invite the audience to fill in the blanks? So the task of the the task at hand of, uh, of an audience being there is not at all the same. There's not uh, a lot of filling in blanks. When we're in an office, you'll see an office. Um, when we're in a house, you'll see a couch and there's running water and a refrigerator and very realistic things. There are people really eating food. So it's let so we have a lot more realistic elements inside of inside of that because we are talking about a society that is not that doesn't have any flexibility that isn't as dexterous as the the characters inside of it need for it to be. It's Thatcherite England. It's not a, a metaphor in a way. I would say this because we're sitting in our our seats in San Francisco, it is already a metaphor for now. When you're starting on a play, and this is true for all of the work because you've directed several plays over the years, what kind of research do you do? And and specifically, before you walk in, when you take the assignment, okay, you're going to do Top Girls. You're going to do this play by Carol Churchill. Have you done plays by Carol Churchill? This is the first play I've directed by Carol Churchill. I've never actually seen this play also, which is a boon and a blessing to not have actually seen a play that you're going to direct. Why? Um, because I think that the play itself is is its own kind of theatrical challenge. And so to be able to really look at what's on the page and decipher it, to go to be a detective, that's a part of the joy of the work. Um, and then when you've sort of seen somebody sort of already do it, some of the mysteries are already like they're solved. So I've enjoyed all of us, me and my entire class and my design team, us unpacking it and we're coming from it with brand new eyes and just asking questions. Questions, 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 questions. Going back to my original question, when you get the assignment. What do I do? Well, I read the play. I make a list of questions that come to mind that are from the banal to like, I need to know. Who is Isabella? Was she a real person? Isabella has a, uh, a biography. I read the biography. Who's Lady Nijo? Is she a real person? There's real material. I'll read that material. We read Carol Churchill's plays so that I understand sort of what is the impulse of this writer in the world, this artist in the world? What are the questions that she's asking? A thing that came out of rereading several plays was that, gosh, nightmare and dreams are really present inside of Carol Church's work in a really extraordinary way. And that opened up the very first scene for me. I didn't understand what that scene was until I understood that, oh, this could be a dream that Marlene is having that becomes a nightmare on the day before she goes into the office to take up her brand new job. It's the kind of dream that we all have when we've got something we've worked really hard for, and then we begin to doubt that we actually deserve it. So it isn't necessarily that Carol Churchill saw it as a dream, but that you as director say to yourself, okay, this is the only way it makes sense. This is a way that's hot for me. And I say this to the actors. I'm like, we, you have to like the thing, the choice is what's the choice that illuminates the path forward. And this was something that sort of like turned the light on for me and made me super eager to go on this road. Well, when you've made that choice there, does the script allow you to reflect back on it to later scenes? 
Absolutely. And actually, the choice gets tested as I read and reread the play. And it has to survive me checking off the questions that I have. If I'm making a choice that is, and I'm using air quotes here, a concept, and that concept is beside the play, that's no use. Any world that we put this text in has to illuminate the play for um, our audiences. And so all of my choices are tested on, am I turning the light on or am I making this more obscure? Am I illuminating or am I causing us to be more confounded? It has to be illuminating. So, well, un- unless maybe it's in the script, you you don't want the audience scratching their heads and going, what the heck am I seeing? What I don't mind is, a, what is this? Oh, what? Oh, wait. Oh, that's a really great night at the theater, I think. Because the more you know what you're looking at, the less you the the more you can check out. What I want is an audience leaning forward going, I think I I think I I think I've got oh yeah, that's what it is. I want them laughing at things that are both conscious and subconscious. I want them reflecting on things hours after they leave the theater. I would like to make a mark. I would like this to be a substantial experience for them. And so a substantial meal when we go to a restaurant is also full of some things that are a little bit challenging that we have to decide that we want to consume. Artistic directors have said to me that barring everything else, enjoyment even perhaps, a play is most successful if it produces a conversation afterward. I absolutely agree. A piece of art is most successful if it has to grow inside of the spectator, not just in the, t- in the time that they're viewing it, but the time that they're living their lives in the aftermath. Art has to echo. That's what I think. I saw a play last night. From my perspective, at first, I was kind of going, hmm, like that. But then afterward, in talking with friends, the conversation got more and more heated about what we had actually seen. And to that degree, whatever failures were in the play as I was watching them almost disappeared, if that makes sense. Yeah, I love hearing that. I wonder, like, how do we make more space for those conversations to happen? Because it is actually in sharing the experience that things open up. That's what the theater is supposed to be, not just a place of spectatorship, but a place of dialogue. Sometimes we just, like, the play ends and everybody just goes home and they never talk about it. And then it sort of withers on the block, on the on the vine. That's the difference between a play and a book, right? The book is an intimate relationship with you and the page. The theater is an intimate relationship with you and your 800 best friends sitting next to you (laughs) and the 17 actors on that stage. You're listening to an interview with Tamala Woodard, who is the director of Top Girls by Carol Churchill, which is at ACT's Geary Theater through October 13th. For more information, you can go to act-sf.com. Dot O-R-G. Before we move off and into your career, a couple of questions which kind of border both, which is that in your career as a director, you're constantly looking for ways of interaction between audience and the play. But here we're sitting in a theater with a proscenium stage, which is the least interactive of all forms in a play where your audience is actually watching. For you, given your work in the other areas, what are your specific challenges as a director in this one? Yes, you, so you know me well. Yes, the, the proscenium is 
something for me to like contend with, <laughs> for sure. I am really interested in how we break the space between the performance and the audience. And like, how do we do that in every single situation, no matter if we're confined to our seats and the play is over there beneath the proscenium. To me, it's not just about changing the proximity that you have, that the spectator has to the work, but it's also about allowing the play to entice the audience forward in their own seats. And so that they forget that they're sitting out here and they think that they're sitting up there. How do I create an environment where you're a fly on the wall rather than a person 42 feet away from the nearest actor? What do you do to entice people forward? When you make things too easy, people sit back and they're like, it's easy. All of my job is just to look. You know, there are some tricks of the trade. I think, A, let's bring the play as forward as possible. But B, let's not always, like not everything has to be heard and not everything has to be seen. And there are some things that these people over here are going to see and some things that these people over here are going right. to see. There's some, we're only going to hear 40% of any of the text that we listen to anyway, really? even in real life. Here, we intuit the other 60%. And so my job isn't necessarily for you to hear every single word, but to implant the idea or more, I think, substantially to implant the picture. Well, also at the Geary, as opposed to the Strand or most of the other theaters I would assume you work with, you've also got that height of people looking down, which creates, on top of everything else, the need for a certain kind of choreography. Yes. Yes, I love it. It's like what you love about the ballet, right? When you go to see the ballet, you don't want to be in the first row. Right. You want to be high up so you can actually see the pattern of movement because it's not about the one dancer. It's about the universe that's created. This play is so good for that. There's a there's like just gorgeous, luscious pattern and people moving through and with each other and unwinding and coming together and regrouping that is also a part of the narrative that will tell as much of the story as the text does. And when you say that people only get 60%, that you've learned that over time? I don't think I'm making that up. I think that's like somewhere scientific right. <laughs> that as we listen to, you know, in our own conversations, we're not taking in everything. And it's because our ears are one part of what we're, what is bringing in information, but it is also like what we're seeing and how we're feeling the other human being in the, in the space. And all of those things tell us something about how we're communicating. So on that level, people who go to the theater with crappy ears, I mean, I'm missing a lot, but perhaps I shouldn't be as concerned about that. I think so. I remember traveling um, early in my career to other countries and seeing theater in other languages and being profoundly moved and laughing at the right. And not I don't understand a word, but things were being communicated. And so that taught me a lesson that my job is to communicate through all the means that are at our disposal. Which also means you want to make sure the audience does hear. I mean, that's... You're not going to necessarily turn, have people turning their back to the audience and mumbling, or are you? I'm not going to have people turning their backs and mumbling, but they may turn their back. But as soon as someone turns their back, how is that inviting you to look in a different direction? My job is to train your vision um, in a way that doesn't feel like I'm doing that. 
I think of it like if you're making a film, I can frame the shot um, with the film. I'm doing that. That is still what I'm doing in the theater. But you should have the illusion of free will. You're like, I'm going to look over here because that was the most interesting thing. But I've been working very hard to make sure that's the most interesting thing. <laughs> <laughs> and and I, I guess in the same sense, I remember seeing a, a play over at uh, Berkeley Rep, actually watch on the Rhine. And when I was talking to the director about it, I learned that the set, which is an elaborate house, the angles were just a little bit off. And if you're in the audience, you don't know that. But what it does is it it. creates a tension in the audience and they don't know why. Yeah. Yeah. That is exactly right. I mean, theater is like a psychology of being. The lighting designer is figuring out how to help entice and uh, train the audience view. The set designer is creating at all times a space that feels just a little bit not comfortable. There's something for the audience to keep looking at and looking for. You're looking at something for two hours. There have to be some some little hidden jewels for you to be able to find um, in that space, or it has to be a really incredible playground for those actors um, to exist on in a challenging world that supports the unraveling of whatever the narrative is. So yeah, I agree. The, the theater is about tension and conflict. That's what it is. It's just about tension and conflict. Tamila Woodard, let's talk a little about your career. Where did you grow up? Houston, Texas. What got you involved in theater? We used to do school plays. I was always like the very big girl, so I never got to play like Cinderella. You know, nobody starts off as a lighting designer <laughs> in elementary school, but you're enticed by the idea of storytelling. And I did, but I was um, also directing my fellow elementary school students. We plays were part of the curriculum, and I was really grateful for that. And then as I got a little bit older, um, I went to the professional theater in Texas, to the ensemble, and to the alley. And those were the two places where I discovered that theater was like magic, literally like magic. And, and I wanted to figure out how to do the magic. And since that time, honestly, you know, I've been trying to figure out how to do magic. Were you thinking of being a director when you went to Yale? Yes, I was when I went to Yale, though I went to Yale as an actor. I went thinking like, I, I want to do this thing called directing, but I don't know how to do it. So maybe I can sneak into Yale and like practice directing too. That was really my thinking. <laughs> and at what point did you begin to realize that theater in a more traditional sense was confining? Confining and traditional are probably not the words I would use. I didn't think of theater as confining. I thought that the way that I was practicing it was not tapping into the sort of creator that I felt myself to be and that I needed to find a way to invite my own self to take a chance and be a bigger creator, to, be a, um, to take hold of the event of storytelling in a different way rather than being of service to be of creation. Is that where you got the idea of doing these pop-ups? Yeah. The pop-ups are really about, like, how do we roll into a community? How do we invite people into a deep and profound collaboration about their who am I and their where am I and their why am I right now? How do we make it absolutely, like, of the moment and in response to the zeitgeist? 
We started out of a program called Hotel Plays. And, you know, we did, we went, we literally rented the hotel room and the audience would come and see the play that was made in this room. And they come one at a time as if they were flies on the wall and they could watch the private lives of people who stayed in the W Hotel or we were in a hotel in Mexico and a hotel in uh, the Intercontinental in, in, in Madrid. Sometimes going to the theater is such a big deal, people can't bother to do it. <laughs> you know, they're like, man, I got to get dressed, got to go buy a ticket. I got to go all the way over there. Placing the event of theater in places that are unexpected can sometimes be a really great way to entice folks to rediscover how moving and profound and funny and assess accessible it really is. But one other element of doing that is intimacy because I've seen plays in large theaters like the Geary, and I've also seen them in very small theaters. And depending upon the play and the bigness of the play, sometimes a play that takes place in a living room might work best in a living room. Yeah. If it allows you as a spectator to feel that the piece is more vibrant, more alive, you have more access to it, then it works. The point of theater is that we congregate with each other, that we find ourselves outside of the narrow point of view of our own sort of heads, um, that we feel more intimately connected to not just the story, but to the people that we're witnessing the story with. How do we erase the boundaries that separate us? Well, I mean, it all started, I guess, with Brecht or Pirandello breaking yeah, fourth walls. Totally. It's dangerous when we sit back and pretend that that's somebody else's life, right? Then that's just entertainment. It's like you get to look at other people and laugh at other people or cry for other people because they made such terrible choices. Maybe you would want to do a film, but would this be a reason not to want to do a film? Film is like that space between what the novel is and what a play is. You know, the intimacy that one person has with the novel play is like you and your 800 best friends because you're still sitting in a film with a whole bunch of strangers. I'm thinking about the event of going to a movie theater okay, rather yeah. than Netflix. Again, it's like you're still congregating among some people who are strangers to watch a story and be moved as a congregation, like church, right? Does this mean you would direct a film? Yeah, totally. I'm directing film on, on the stage. It's all practice. How do I guide an eye? How do I um, have a story unfold frame by frame? It's a lot of detail. So have you done any film work? I have not. At the same time, there's something about live theater that film can never duplicate. Yeah, but there's something about sculpture that painting can never duplicate also. It doesn't mean that the sculpture is less valuable than painting. And I think if you're, if you're a storyteller and you're changing mediums, you're changing mediums, the best medium is the one that serves the story that you're after. Would I do Top Girls as a film? I don't think so, though it has been, I think, filmed. Top Girls, Men on Boats, and your other work has political subtext and political text almost. Mm -hmm. For you, Tamala Woodard, this is a big part of the work you do, I would guess. It's absolutely a big part. I mean, it's like I have the privilege of being an artist in the world and that that is not about entertaining so much as it is opening up the dialogue about what it means to be human and how do we take care of each other or how do we just make the world a little more coherent and a little more joyful. We're living in a time 
where we have somebody in the White House whose name I won't say, the question comes up that if you try to make something too contemporary, let's say, hopefully, in two years, this will be history and maybe something of what's said will be not interesting anymore. At the same time, we want to find universality. And that, I guess, is kind of an artistic struggle. Well, Top Girls was made literally like upon the heels of, of Thatcher's rise to prime minister. So, and it has endured. Who's to say what will endure? I think that is, the work just has to come out of a deep need for something to be spoken, to be heard, to be experienced um, in order for us to understand the moment that we're in. And it will survive for decades or it won't, but it will do the part that it's meant to do. Tamala Woodard, what projects do you have after Top Girls? Um, when I get back to New York, I'm working with an amazing writer, Donetta Lavinia Graves, on a solo piece that is actually like one performer um, and an audience of of hundreds. The audience is the town, um, and the town has to make the decision about the worth of a human being. So we're going to start that. It will go, it will be a WP. It'll be at um, Baltimore Center Stage. It's asking about how do we value um, human beings that um, exist on the fringe. And I have another play called American Dreams that is uh, a game show for an audience to play to decide who gets to be a citizen in the country. It's a lot of fun. It's full of like, like family feud style quizzes and as you said, it's all political without, I hope, being too much on the nose, but all about, like, how do we freaking live in this world together and be good to each other? Do you ever see yourself getting on stage yourself again? Silent. <laughs> <laughs> You've been listening to an interview with Tamala Woodard, who's the director of Top Girls by Carol Churchill, which is playing at the Geary through October 13th. For more information, you can go to ACT's website, act-sf.org.